This podcast is brought to you by AJ Bell and Shares Magazine. Shares Magazine is published by AJ Bell Media, part of AJ Bell. Hi, welcome back to Money and Markets. I'm Laura from AJ Bell and I'm joined by Dan from Shares. Hi. And this week we're going to talk about how to find uncorrelated investments and what that actually means and the shocking scale of investment fraud in the UK. Today we're also joined by Ian from Shares Magazine. Hi guys. And he'll be telling us why we should care about manufacturing data, which is more interesting than it initially sounds. <laughs> well, I think this we should start this week's episode by looking at new figures that show just how big a problem investment scams are. So Laura, what do the figures actually show? So these are figures that are out this morning from Action Fraud, which deals with all of the kind of fraud cases for the police. Um, and it shows that almost 200 million was taken through investment scams, investment fraud. So this is where people have been uh, tricked or conned into signing up to investment schemes um, that aren't actually real. So they hand over their money to these scammers, thinking that they're investing usually in a, in a very high interest, sure thing, um, and then their money effectively gets robbed from them. This is the general public, isn't it? This is not, not companies doing this. this yeah, is, exactly. Yeah. So this is individuals. So on average of the victims, um, they lost £29,000 each, That's terrible. Um, which is a massive amount of money. And we've seen quite a lot of publicity, I guess is maybe the right word, around pension cold calling. So pe- people being approached by scammers to access their pension fund and hand over that money. But until these figures came out, we haven't really heard that much about the investment side of things. So these are people that are thinking they're investing in shares or bonds or cryptocurrency scams is another big kind of emerging area, um, but are actually losing all of this money. And in lots of cases, won't get that money back. So I guess is is um, with cryptocurrencies, I think anything that's sort of a trendy and a sort of a, a fad would seem, you know, if we're all talking about it at work or in the pub, I guess it's such an, um, for scammers, it's an, unfortunately, it's an easy, easy thing for them to try and exploit, isn't it? So it's Exactly. And I think what most of these scammers are exploiting is the fact that people want to make more money. And so they often come out promising very attractive returns, promising to double your money or um, guaranteed returns. Some people, some of these scammers will actually use, uh, famous people in the finance industry. So Martin Lewis has been on a big campaign where people have been using his image to promote some of these investment scams. And so people think, oh, that's a trustworthy figure. This must be a a kind of sure thing. So the regulator has come out with six warnings that we Mm. should all be careful for. But a lot of the things are somewhat common sense, but, but when you put them together, will help prevent you from being scammed. So things like unexpected content. So someone calling you or emailing you out of the blue, you're not having any existing relationship with them. Time pressure. So quite often they'll say, this is a great offer, but it's going to sell out or you need to give, transfer your money by the end of today. And so it doesn't give you the time to think through whether it's a legitimate scam. Um, and flattery is one of them. We all like a bit of flattery. Mm-hmm. And um, people build up relationships with these um, people and, and convince them to hand over their money. Yeah, because well, w- w- one time we did have a um, a call into the office here, actually, we, with someone that said, I've been contacted by a person I, I don't know, but they said, I've got an opportunity to invest in um, this big airline. And uh, he said that they kept, they kept calling and I gave him an initial 
deposit. They kept saying, the time is running out, you must do this. Uh, because I've, I've typed into Google, this airline's not on the stock market. Um, is it actually coming on? You know, Am I getting sort of first dibs on these shares? And so I sort of try, had a look for him to try and help. Um, and it, it, it was no sign of it, and it, it never did. And so I, I did tell him to call um, the FCA to just try and, um, you know, we need to report all these instances of um, things going wrong. Um, so they can sort of, there are people looking to try and spot who is behind all these frauds, aren't there? So th so this this current campaign, I guess, is, is it's raising awareness again. Um, and let's hope it does some does some good. Yeah, the FCA, which is the regulator, has a thing called the FCA warning list. So that has helpful information on how to avoid being scammed, but it's also where there's a list of firms that are operating without the right authorization. So basically, people that they've identified as scammers. Personally, I kind of thought, if they've got a list of these people, why are they not shutting them down? But I guess that's a very simplistic view of it. It's obviously quite hard to cut, shut them down. Yeah, it's actually quite timely, this sort of thing, with LCF. Uh, where well, the firm is regulated by the FCA, but the product wasn't regulated. It was a mini bond. And my aunt had something similar, and she was just chatting with me at Christmas and said, do you think I should roll it over? I mean, she had a reasonable amount of money in this thing, and I looked into it. And again, it was a mini bond, and it was actually, the money was being used for US residential mortgages. I mean, you know, that's not a problem, is it? We haven't been there before. Mm -hmm. um, so I said, no, just take the money out, put it into, you know, whatever ISA you can... You know, whatever's giving you a good rate on ISA or a deposit rate. Mm. Um, but these, the problem is the FCA regulates these firms, but some of the products aren't regulated, and that isn't clear. Yeah. So they need to make that clear. I think there's a sort of distinction between something that is a scam and someone is stealing your money, or perhaps you not understanding how the money that you're investing is being used. So um, some of these mini bonds, they, they, you know, they, they are legitimate products. That it's just that they haven't been making the risks clear enough that you, you know, there is a chance that you could lose your money on on all of it. And I think that's what's happened with LCF. And we're talking over 200 million in that scheme alone. It's gone missing. Yeah. So at the moment, a lot of people are feeling a bit jittery about markets. Um, so wouldn't it be great if you could find an asset to invest in that didn't move up and down in the same way as the rest of the stock market? So Dan, you've got these incorrelated investments, right? Well, I've certainly been looking for them because um, increasingly sort of seeing people asking just that. They, they say, you know, I, I put the money into stock markets, so I know it's high risk and it goes up and down. Or I can put money into bonds and it's sort of sometimes it's not a great return. But is there something that can give me um, a kind of sort of steady income? And if the stock market is moving up and down, I want something on the side of my portfolio that's just nice and steady. So over the past few years, there's been kind of a push into these alternative assets. So people investing in like wind farms, sort of various renewable energy schemes, um, infrastructure investments. So all aircraft of leasing is the one that strikes yeah. me as quite weird and wonderful. Yeah. Now that's I I I I have spotted that one and I come on to that one in a minute. Oh but, god, I've jumped um, ahead. It's yeah. a spoiler alert, isn't it? Sorry. Um, but you know, the, the idea of these sort of infrastructure and renewable energy funds, um, your investment, the value investment, is kind of not really going, may not change too much, but it, it's all about collecting the income from it. Um, but some of these, you know. Inevitably, investors are still looking for something else as well. Um, so there are various insurance products around which you could look at, but I think they're just really complicated to understand. And I don't think anyone should invest in anything unless they fully understand what's going on. Um, and so there's, there are, but going on to this airplane leasing, yes, there, there are several of them. So you can invest in a company who um, basically bought a plane and leased it to someone else. But 
Um, they would argue that you know, you've got big chunky airlines paying you back the money. It's nice and safe, but I don't know. Anything connected with the airline sector to me is um, is higher risk than you should think, isn't it? So yeah, it's one of those. It's not your customer. It's your customer's customer that might go bust. Mm. And so the guy at the end of the chain, you put your money in thinking it's pretty safe. But the person two, three steps down the chain could have a problem and then the whole thing collapses. So. Yeah. So it's so for I'm not so sure about that one. Gold has historically been kind of one that people put money into, but you know that's proved to be a bit more volatile than people thought. Mm. Um, so I, I've been having a closer look at the market. And so the, the one that's perhaps interesting, interested me the most was this Hypnosis Songs Fund, which floated on the stock market last year. Um, so this is uh, an investment trust that... Uh, it buys the rights to certain bits of music. Um, so every time these bits of music are played on the radio or, or they feature in a TV program or an advert or a computer game, or you buy a CD with a song on, they collect the royalty. And so they take this royalty stream and then give shareholders a chunk of that as a dividend. Um, so they've been. this has been set up by... Um, well, the investment advisor behind it is a guy who's worked in the industry for ages, and he, he was the he was the, the ex manager of many famous artists, from Elton John to Iron Maiden, um, uh, and, and Morrissey and Guns and Roses. So he he comes from the artistic sort of community, um, and they've been buying up quite sort of famous songs. Um, they, they raised two hundred million at the float last year, um, and you know, it, the, the shares have been do, they're trading at higher um, than the actual value of these assets at the moment. But um, I think it, it's pretty interesting. And, and, and this guy was telling me about, he, he goes to songwriters rather than an artist to try and find mm. these bits of music. Mm. So he's, he's sort of saying, um, let's say if you're, if you're Neil Young, you, you go to him and say, can I buy the rights to your songs? And he's like, well, um, you know, I could just go on tour. I could sell some T-shirts or something for a bit of extra money. But if you go to a songwriter, no one really knows who they are. And so you're essentially this, this fund will offer them cash up front um, and so that they go, well, that's fine. I don't have to wait 10 years to, for my annual royalty check. Um, and so that, they, that's what, the, you know, that's the plan at the moment. I, th I think it's quite interesting. But um, I don't know if you, if, you, if you follow the music industry and the, all the artists are complaining about YouTube and Spotify. So if you stream your music via the internet, you're getting really rubbish royalty checks from them. Um, so Hypnosis Songs Fund argues that it's just a learning experience. Over time, the royalty rates might improve. Um, it's all about exposure and sort of this boom in this um, consumption of music. So as, as an investment, it's quite interesting. So you would, you would argue, look, if, if the economy falls, um, you know, we kind of we still want to consume music, don't we? Mm. Really, mm. Um, and you know to get away from the sort of the depression and uh, negativity of life. Um, in the good times, you're still doing it. So it, 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 I guess it's slightly unproven because this this fund's only been on the market for a while. Um, but you know this is an example of what people are now calling uncorrelated mm. assets. Yeah. Um, so other other ones that you you may consider and probably a bit more of an argument are they or not is something like rent a kill. So this whilst this is a company on the stock market um, that does a mixture of sort of uh, rat catching, cleaning. But you, mm. you, you should argue, you know, no matter what's going on in the world, um, our poor old rats have got to be scooped up. Yeah. Uh, so you know, I know you, you, you know, as as a journalist, you, you follow this we stock, don't it, you? We looked at it, didn't so we, Dan? Yeah, we looked at it a couple of months ago. I mean, it's it's essentially pest control, and so there's you know, it doesn't matter what economies are doing. 
there's um, more and more urbanisation. 30 years ago, something like 40% of the world's population lived in cities. 30 years' time, it's going to be 70%. And these are sort of kind of UN numbers. And what they're saying is, for firms like Rent-A-Kill, there's always going to be this need to not just control rats, but you've got things weirdly like bed bugs. You know, this is, there's, um, this is a huge problem in hotels. They've got a, a contract in America uh, across a, a thousand or two thousand hotels, and they're monitoring bed bug activity. Yeah. It couldn't get less correlated yeah. with the market. This is making me or feel the itchy. Yeah. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. Um, and they've gone into things like vector control, which I'd never even heard of until I started mm. looking into this. So it's you know, things like malaria, you know, and containing, containing cont- contagious diseases within a certain area. That's vector yeah. control. So they went and bought the biggest player in the U.S. market. Yeah, it's, it doesn't make headlines, but it's a terrific business. And it's just year in, year out, you know, there's a need for it, and it's actually growing. Yeah. Well, Laura, you used to live in New York, didn't you? Isn't that that's the, one of the worst places for bed bugs? Did you yeah, know? I never had bed bugs, but I'd never really um, thought about them until I moved to New York, and it seems like everyone gets bed bugs there. Wow. I also like that we've made it this far through the podcast without mentioning that I used to live in New York. People <laughs> mock me and say that I start every sentence with the fact that I used to live in New York. Um, another one of the uncorrelated investments that... Um, fund managers were talking about a few years ago was ground rents, which is obviously now slightly imploded. But a while ago, um, fund managers were saying that they were buying up freeholds on properties and collecting the ground rent, which was often quite small amounts. Mm -hmm. But they said it was a very uncorrelated investment because people are going to continue to pay the ground rent. And um, the the details of ground rent is if, if you don't pay it and you default, then you effectively lose your property. And so your the fund manager's risk was pretty low because if they didn't get this income stream then they get the property obviously in the past couple of years there's been quite a lot of scandal around overcharging of ground rent and ground rents that have gone up far faster than inflation and some of them have insane clauses of increasing on them but i think if you're not in in that realm of it and you're in just the kind of standard paying a small amount and with reasonable terms then that's another area that i know quite a few multi-asset fund managers are are investing in Mm. And I think it's very important to understand that un- uncorrelated doesn't mean risk-free because um, as well as the ground rent example, um, even in the renewable energy space, we've had things like governments re- withdrawing sort of subsidies. So, solar, um, yeah, particularly. You, you know, you, you, there's, there's a threat. If you, a change in government might actually change policies towards infrastructure investments. So, so you know, nothing is easy, I'm afraid, is the, um, is the message. But it, you know, if you are looking to diversify your investment portfolio, um, there are options out there, but just as always, do do your homework. Um, so let, let's let's have a look now at manufacturing data. So, um, Ian, talk to us about PMI data. So, kind of, can you explain what, what what does that stand for? What does it mean, and why is this important to us at the moment? Well, Dan, um, I mean, tying this in neatly with your hypnosis, knowing you're a massive Lisa Stansfield fan, <laughs> we have been all around the world to get oh, this story good. together. Um, so we, yeah, we're looking at PMI surveys. This is the Purchasing Managers Index, and we're specifically looking at the Manufacturing Purchasing Managers Index. This is kind of a lead indicator on every country's economic health. Uh, every month, purchasing managers, uh, manufacturing firms, are asked their view on half a dozen key issues. So they're asked manufacturing levels, uh, how busy are they? New orders, how busy are their customers? Inventories, how much stock have they been getting in? And employment levels, how many people are they taking on or laying off? And it doesn't ask for exact numbers. 
It just asks whether the current situation for these this month is better, the same, or worse than it was a month ago. And when the number of positive and negative replies kind of equals out, it's 50. So the magic number in all these PMI surveys is 50. When the number's above 50, it generally means that manufacturing is expanding. And when it's below 50, it means that it's contracting. But as I say, you're looking at how confident purchasing managers are in the manufacturing industry around the world just compared with the last month. Mm. But it's a number that everybody watches, even if manufacturing isn't a big part of the economy anymore, because typically um, manufacturers are confident they invest in the business. And that drives job creation, which drives consumer confidence, which drives consumer spending. So it kind of underpins all the numbers that, all the other numbers that we look at. And this is, these are the kind of figures that analysts and professional fund managers and people in the investment industry will kind of hotly anticipate and I mean, pour over when yeah, they come they out, Yeah, they almost obsess over these numbers. Um, 50, as I say, is, is the big number. So we've been around the world. Um, some are above, some are below. But it's, just, it's, it's fascinating. We wrote about Germany recently. We know the economy slowed down a lot in the second half of last year. Just about avoided going to recession in the fourth quarter. Um, and this... Uh, no, last week the German government actually cut its growth forecast for 2019 from 1.8% to 1%, which is a bit of a shocker. So no surprise, Germany's manufacturing PMI is below 50, only just 49.9. But a year ago it was 60. Mm. I think so the, the, the importance with PMI figures is unlike many other bits of data that we get, which is all backwards looking, um, PMI is, is kind of, it's the, what's, what's coming up. And that's why it's so important, yeah. isn't it? Because it's, it's yeah. how confident are these people about their future spending plans? Yeah, their it? intention to hire, yeah. their intention, you know, and how busy are they with new orders? How's it looking is basically what they're asking people. Looking at the UK chart here that you provided us with, it seems to be a bit more of a basket case than the other ones. So well, since we've gone up and down quite a bit, it's quite dramatically. It's funny, it's funny because I was going to get to that last. Oh, but I've, that's God, right. I'm constant spoiler alert you today, are aren't I? You such a rush, Laura. <laughs> um, it is, but we'll get there. The, the UK is intriguing. Um, but uh, with the German one, yeah, no surprises below 50. French PMI, surprisingly, all with the yellow vest protests and so on, is above 50. It's 51. But I guess those protests have more impact on service industries like travel tourism than they do on manufacturing italy i mean we know that italy has had all kinds of problems with the eu trying to get its budget approved and so on the pmi is below 50 but it actually it looks like a bit of a ski jump it's been going bottom top left bottom right and um it actually went down below 49 but it's come back up so that's that's quite interesting and i didn't expect it to look like that when i started putting all the numbers together um, head over to Asia. Now, China, again, we wrote about that not long ago. PMIs went below 50 in December, and they've gone below 49 last month. Um, if there's any Chinese listeners, by the way, Kung Hei Fat Choi, congratulations, happy new Chinese year. Um, domestic demand is the problem in China, and that's the same situation in Germany. It's not exports, although everybody sort of assumes it is. Uh, the reason that the purchasing managers are kind of feeling a bit more grumpy, they're not getting the, the, the orders in domestically. And that's the same with Germany, cu curiously. You know, EU orders are slowing down 
Um, and in China, again, it seems to be more of a domestic thing. So People think of it, it's going to be a trade tariffs, but it isn't. Mm. Well, so this, this data um, is published on every month, isn't it? So It uh, is indeed. And then, so different countries for different days. It's not like one, one day of the month, everything is slumped on No, your desk unfortunately, it's staggered yeah. throughout the month. So It's probably easier to digest. You kind of though. get this rolling series of numbers coming out. Yeah. And as I say, everybody's looking at 50, is it expand Above 50, it's expanding. Below 50, it's contracting. US, absolutely no surprise that, you know, it's the daddy, things are looking great in the US. So you've got um, PMI, manufacturing PMI is nearly 55, which is pretty impressive. Head and shoulders better than everybody else. But having said that, you know, a year ago, it was 60. So good, not as good as it was. And... Coming to the UK, Laura, um, which is strangely steady. I mean, it is. It did have this huge drop in October, uh-huh. but it's come right back, um, and it's uh, over fifty-four um, in December. Um, the reason is, and I hope you're ready with the klaxon. <gasps> stockpiling for Brexit. Uh-oh. <laughs> There you are. It's been so long since I've heard that sound. There you go. Um, Now, we know that drug companies are stockpiling medicines. There's been a lot of coverage of that. Care homes are starting to stockpile food for the residents. Uh, Firms are stockpiling everything. Uh, I think the best is Unilever. Stockpiling magnums. Stockpiling magnums and Ben and Jerry's. As if that's the thing that we're going to need if it's in a crisis situation. Why wouldn't you? Um, (laughs) But the funny thing is the factory in Leeds also supplies the whole of Europe with Dove and Lynx. So they've been stockpiling Dove and Lynx and shipping that out quickly so that everybody in Europe can smell nice. Very good. Yeah. and it is actually, con- consumer companies are the ones that are having, you know, when you survey the purchasing managers, they're the guys that seem to be the happiest. And it's industrial goods manufacturers that seem to be the uh, sort of grumpiest. Um, obviously, we don't know what's going to happen next couple of months, but this is the this is the number you need to look at. Yeah. The cool. PMI. Right. There you go. So where can DIY investors find these figures then? Are they easily available to find? They are. I mean, you can literally just Google it uh, and you'll find uh, Investopedia will have it, Stockopedia will have it. Good site called Trading Economics as well, um, which every month, and um, which we've uh, used the charts here with ones that we're looking at. Um, so it's, it's really easy to find out. You can literally go US PMI, uh, Chinese PMI. Um, but make sure you're looking at the manufacturing one, not the composite one or the services one. Okay, perfect. So from manufacturing to property, um, an eye-opening transaction has just taken place in Scotland, um, which could either prove to be the deal of the century or an absolute waste of money. Laura, tell us all. A shopping centre was put up for auction with a reserve price of £1 and has sold for £310,000 an entire shopping centre. Wow, that's like like a house, isn't it? That's like a house uh, outside of London. Exactly, or like a studio flat in London probably (laughs) (laughs) so it was sold by Columbia Threadneedle a fund manager and it currently generates £152,000 in rent a year so if you take that broad thing you're getting a 50% yield that's amazing. So what? So clearly the catch is that I think there's quite high costs. Yeah. Well, I've completely ignored all costs of the, the shopping centre there to get to that yield figure. Um, yeah, I think so. What Columbia Threadneedle said is that 
they bought it as an income play, so they bought it for a pension fund that they run. Um, since they bought it, loads of the shops have moved out. It's got lots of empty um, shops in it, and I think now basically it needs to be regenerated, mm. or some might say it needs to be flattened and rebuilt. And that's something that Columbia Threadneedle didn't want to do, so they sold it as a growth opportunity. They said rather than an income opportunity. A, a fixer upper. Exactly, a fixer-upper rather than a steady payer. So this is so it started off as a pound. This is a bidding process, was it? So yeah, and apparently yeah. the first bid was ten pounds. Wow! <laughs> I mean, that must have been a long old auction to get them up to three hundred and ten thousand pounds. But I'm assuming they made some jumps along yeah. the way. Well, so you haven't been around recently. Is that because you've been up there bidding? <laughs> <laughs> I was the ten pound bidder, <laughs> quickly outbid. <laughs> And so, also, I want to check back in with you, Dan, on your 1P savings challenge, which, as it now turns out, could probably buy a whole shopping centre. But how are you getting on with that? <laughs> it, no, it's good. It's, it's, still, it's still going very nicely. Um, but I've been having... Like, when we were last talking about this on the podcast, I was sort of not sure what I wanted to do with the money when, once I've saved it. I think it was about um, roughly £600 or something, um, which, which is kind of the target to hit after a year. Um, and you've decided to buy all of us drinks for the podcast. Yes. Yay. Yes, well, no, Oh, what but, lovely. Yeah, I have I have had an idea. Um, several members of my family keep sending me these messages and it's links to eBay. Um, and it's for ice cream vans. And so this week I got one and it's and it's one which has got Garfield's head on it. And it's just awesome. And it's three and a half thousand pounds. <laughs> so I will need you all to help me to help <coughs> me buy this. Um, but it's all led me to think, can you, you know, is this can you make this a business? So actually, I... What, you're going to buy an ice cream van? I Mr. Whoopi. I, I think is... What do you reckon? Is that a good investment? Because I had a look. It, you can make up to 83% profit margin on a good day. So it's about 100 quid to run. But the could, UK has about three sunny days. No, no, you're being too pessimistic here. <laughs> um, if you present ice cream to people, they will eat it, I think is... Uh, so... Uh, I read somewhere that it's when the clocks go back um, or go forward, I mean, which, whichever way it is, um, is when the season starts. So I, I mean, this is already showing the floor in your plan. <laughs> yes. You don't even know how timing works. <laughs> so it, it's, if, you, if you think you're probably going to get six months of the year out of this, you work very long hours, um, you get loads of money. And then, but the, the thing is, what do you do with the other six months? Um, given that I'm, I'm looking at this from a business perspective and an investment perspective, um, do I sell sausage rolls um, mm. hot chocolate hot chocolate yeah and so in, in Scotland there's a van that's going around selling crumpets um, and what else could I do with it so I, d I don't really know so I think it's or I could just work very long hours and have six months holiday yeah and is this your official resignation from is the this, podcast? This is a sort of retirement no, no, plan. no. This is this is like um, this is kind of like our consultation. I want you to, to you know, is this oh, a good okay. plan? Because I need you in on it. You have to help fund this. It's not just me. I'm not <laughs> going alone. Be serving. So. <laughs> but I, think, I mean, I'm out. Yeah. Oh, okay. Already. <laughs> so, so Ian, I need to make you need to make a higher contribution, I'm afraid. So, for I've our, been actually, Dan. I have been doing this. I've been doing this at home. <laughs> With a little AIC piggy bank that yes. we got. I've been putting it in there and I, I, I'll forget and then I have to put three days worth in at yeah. once and <laughs> stuff the pennies into the thing. This is why you all got us on to the 1P savings challenge, yeah. isn't it? You had this secret plan all along. It's evil master plans. Oh, yeah, I just really fancy. I'd love to drive around with a Garfield van. I mean, how, <laughs> does that sound amazing? Yes. The answer is yes. <laughs> yes. Anyway. Motion carried. We're buying it. <laughs> So thanks a lot for listening this week. And as ever, you can send any thoughts or ideas you have to podcast at ajbell.co.uk, including opinions on ice cream van purchases. Maybe we should open it out to listeners. They can all contribute. 
Um, See you all next week. Thanks. Bye. Before you go, please remember this podcast is for educational purposes and isn't telling you whether certain investments are suitable or not. If you want help, go see a qualified financial advisor. The podcast talks about various money issues. Just don't forget that the value of investments can change and you can lose money as well as make it. You should also recognise that how an investment performed in the past may not be the same as how it behaves in the future and that tax rules apply.